to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke 14, 15 through 24. And we'll be talking about no more excuses. No more excuses. So what's an excuse a child might give for not going to bed on time? Pastor Dylan, what's an excuse? I'm not tired. How about uh, for us to be late for work? Wendy Catapano. <laughs> How about for not exercising? I won't call on someone. Or for procrastinating? Well, we got that. How about for not going to church? I had a late night last night. I'll go next week. I'm tired. I had a late night last night. What would Pastor Greg say? He said, you know, I was out late Saturday night. I'm going to skip church Sunday morning. Right? We expect the worship team to be here. Right? How about uh, for not tithing? Oh, we'll keep going. How about for declining an invitation? What's a good excuse for declining an invitation? Too busy. I have another commitment. I haven't found it yet, but I have another commitment. <laughs> as soon as I find it, I'm doing it. I have to wash my hair. That used to be the old, the old, uh, the old excuse. And of course, these days, the common excuse for why your package is late, why uh, something doesn't happen is... COVID, right? That's a common excuse now that we still use. And there are biblical examples of excuses. You have Abraham. His excuse was he was too old to have a child. You have Jeremiah. His excuse was he was too young for God to use him. You have Moses. Oh, I don't speak well. I stutter. Or they won't believe me, the fellow Israelites. So we have lots of examples in the Bible of people giving excuses, but they didn't allow the excuses to consume them. God refuted their excuses, and in the Shrek paraphrase version said, no more excuses. So today, we're going to look at that. What's the definition of an excuse? An excuse is like something that we say to justify an action or a non-action, right? Uh, we don't like it when someone gives us an excuse for something, but we're okay giving an excuse for something sometimes, aren't we? So we're going to look at one of the parables of Jesus in Luke 14 today, and I hope after looking at this parable that you will all leave saying no more excuses when it comes to knowing God more, when it comes to entering into his presence more. No more excuses. So instead of reading Luke 14 today, I thought I'd give you a little preview of how we're going to uh, talk about this passage in the second service. And so we're going to watch a kid video for Luke 14. It starts a little bit at the beginning of the chapter. We're going to focus on starting at verse 15. But uh, let's watch this video, and then we're going to get into the meat of No More Excuses. Stories of the Bible, the parable of the great banquet. This is Jesus, hey who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. 
He did many miracles like walking on water. Oh, hey guys. And even raised people from the dead. One day, Jesus went to eat at the house of a Pharisee. He said to the Pharisee who was hosting the meal, When you give a dinner, do not invite your friends, your family, or your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. But invite the poor and those who have trouble seeing and walking. Then God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. When a man at the table heard what Jesus said, he said to Jesus, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Already! When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Got it. they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. What? No way. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor. And those who have trouble seeing and walking, the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Great, all right. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I should apologize to Pastor Dylan and Wendy. I put them on the spot before, so I apologize. I was, Wendy's way more prompt than, I shouldn't have called on her at all for that because she's misprompt. Uh, so the invitation went out. Save the date at with the time to be determined. The, the people at the banquet knew the invitation had gone out. They just didn't know what time it was going to be. And so they knew what was going to happen and the servant comes and says, okay, the time is now. And in rolled the excuses. Now, uh, I never went to a lot of birthday parties growing up. I just wasn't in the birthday party group. Uh, but I did have a birthday party when I was five years old. I have a picture of it here. And so that's 1967 for you math, whiz, math whizzes to figure out. But uh, so there were people at the party, even though I'm... That's just the only uh, picture that is just me, because, you know, I was a birthday girl. Uh, but now I have another picture to show you. This boy, they invited his whole class to his birthday party, and no one came. And so that was like, oh, right? 
But could you imagine how God feels when he invites us into his presence and people don't come, right? We should feel that awe even more strongly. Well, sure enough, in this parable, no one on the invite list has come. Some of the excuses included, oh, I just bought some land. I have to go check it out. Oh, I just bought some oxen. I have to go try it out. Oh, I just got married, Pastor Dylan. I can't possibly do that. I just got married. And that's a, a pretty good excuse as a wife, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but the man throwing the banquet had everything ready didn't he? He had the preparation, the invitation, he gave the opportunity, and then there were excuses. And God is inviting us today to come closer to him, to come into his presence more, to say yes to the invitation, to enter into all that the presence of God has for us, to have conversation with him, to sit at the table with him, to feast with him, to have him pass what we need to us because it's all prepared for us already. But all too often, the excuses roll in. Now, uh, there's a lot of ways we could go with this passage today. And to be honest with you, I wrestled with this passage for quite a long time because we could go a lot of different directions with it. And, uh, but I felt that this was the passage. And we could go into the direction of you know, no one came to the party. We could go into the direction of uh, they went out and got the outcasts and they came to the banquet. We could go with there was even more room, so we should do missions and compel them far and wide to come in. We could uh, uh, say, you know, the banquet, the parable has to do with the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven one day. And everyone that's invited, not all have said yes to Jesus. They won't be included. We could go a lot of different ways. But for, ten, for this morning, I felt like the Lord would have us look at the excuses of the three men that, that Jesus highlighted in this parable and why they replied no to the invitation. And do any of those excuses ring true to us when God calls us to himself in a greater way? So let's see three categories of excuses that, God, that Jesus highlighted in this parable and see how it might affect us where at the end of the service today we'll say no more excuses. So the first excuse that Jesus highlighted in the parable was the man that talked about his possessions. His possessions got in the way of going to the banquet. Uh, verse 18, but they all alike, all the original invitees, they all alike began to make excuses. It was the excuse club. They were card-carrying members of excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. The first man didn't go to the banquet because he had some land to go and see. And that's a pretty feeble excuse. Nobody buys uh, property sight unseen. So that was a feeble excuse that he used to pass up all that was going to happen and be prepared for him in the presence of the one throwing the banquet. The man's excuse had to do with his stuff. He had to maintain his stuff. His stuff were his was his focus. 
Now, as we get older and we retire one day, in Jesus' name, John Shrek, in Jesus' name, IBM will stay solvent even when he retires in Jesus' name. But we start to downsize, don't we? And we maybe go to a smaller house, or we finally give away our adult kids' stuff back to them that we've been storing in the basement, and things like that. That rings true to some of us, right? But uh, perhaps we need to focus today thinking, maybe I need to downsize where my attention is on my stuff, on my possessions. Our possessions can grip us. Pastor Greg talked about last week uh, a gentleman years ago that had bought a boat. And you want to get your money's worth out of your boat. That's a big investment. So he was out on his boat weekends, which is fine, except it infringed on Sunday mornings. And so he stopped coming to church regularly or even semi-regularly because of his possession. Uh, I have a dream one day that we will have a lake house. And when I say that in the second service and my son David is here, you're going to hear a big amen right over there in that corner. Uh, we've dreamed about it since we've been married, and uh, it hasn't happened. It may happen one day, uh, but uh, John assures me in heaven my house will be on a lake. <laughs> and I'm holding him to it. <laughs> but uh, I could see where, as I'm envisioning, if we bought a little vacation lake house somewhere, you know, how close would it have to be? so that we wouldn't miss church, and, and what about Wednesday nights? And I could see where that would get in the way of my time with the Lord. We allow possessions to get in the way of being possessed with the Spirit of God. We allow possessions too often, and you can say, oh, not me, but consider it. The Lord's going to prick your heart about something. We allow possessions to get in the way of being possessed with the Spirit of God. Our possessions get a hold of us instead of us getting a hold of God. And that was the excuse of the first man. God calls for us. He invites us into his presence to come to him. And we say, sorry, I have to mow the lawn you gave me. I have to uh, finish the basement. I have to wash the car that I'm going to win at the golf outing. I have to fill in the blank for your possession that eats up your time. So the first excuse for not going to the banquet was, I have stuff I need to do with my stuff. Second excuse, the second man, work. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That's verse 19. Another lame excuse. He didn't test drive the oxen before he bought it. Our excuses can be pretty feeble when we look at them. The second man's excuse that he bought those oxen shows us that we allow business and jobs to get in the way of doing the real work we have been called to do, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We need to be about the business of God. Jesus in Luke chapter 2 says that he was about 
his father's business. Now we need to work and we need to own things. But when the priority starts to shift in the balances of where those things are and what we do with our time, it's a red flag. Uh, just quickly want to uh, mention uh, our senior commander, A.J. Pandolfo. Uh, he works nights often at Danbury Emergency Room as a physician's assistant. He works overnight. And then he comes here in his scrubs some Sunday mornings, right from there, just about. Or Wednesday nights, he goes there after Rangers. And he would be embarrassed if he was here in this first service for me to say that to you. But what I want to point out is that when you have your face towards God, priorities are correct. If anyone could use an excuse for work, it would be some of the men here and women that work tirelessly for the Lord on top of their secular job. The third excuse has to do with relationships. The third man said, oh, I just got married. I couldn't possibly come. And uh, speaking as a wife, there's some validity in having responsibilities as a husband. However, no wife wants to be used as an excuse for her husband not coming to the master. No relationship, no matter how new, no matter, how wonderful, no matter how wonderful, should take priority over our relationship with the Lord. I just got married. I wonder how long ago he just got married. Was it that week? Was it six months ago? Who knows? It was an excuse that shouldn't have held as much water as he wanted it to hold. We often allow relationships to hinder our relationship with our Heavenly Father. What relationships do we have, do I have, that keep me from pursuing God when he calls me to himself? What relationships do I have that keep me from entering into the presence of God in a more consistent and substantive way? We need to look at those and get our priorities right. Possessions, work, relationships, all too often we allow anything and everything to get in the way of our coming to God, as Jesus points out in, those parab in that parable. God is looking for our undivided attention. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything and we're, we're monks hold up someplace and that's all that we do. But it certainly means that our full attention our priorities, our lives, have to be in line with what God wants to do for us, wants to show himself to us, so that we can be nearer to him. When they said no to the invitation, they weren't nearer to the master, they were further away. Instead of getting a hold of God, we let all sorts of things get a hold of us. Instead of getting a hold of God, we let all sorts of things get a hold of us. Following Christ is not just something we do our, in our head or even in our hearts. Following Christ must affect every affection and every action. 
Nothing should rise to the top of our affections, our attentions, our possessions, our relationships. Nothing should rise above our relationship with God. We must put our loves rightfully in order. We must orient our desires to God. He has to have the priority. Uh, recently read an illustration. In 1914, the year that the Titanic uh, had that unfortunate incident, uh, Congress convened a hearing about another accident that had happened in January of that year. There was a steamship, Monroe, that was rammed by a merchant vessel, the Nantucket, off in the fog off of Virginia. It eventually sank. 41 sailors lost their lives in the Atlantic that day. And while it was the captain of the uh, Nantucket, while he was on trial and being grilled, it turns out that during the cross-examination, Captain Johnson, no relation to our Johnsons, Captain Johnson of uh, the other boat navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficiently true to run the ship and that it was the custom of masters in the coastwise trade to use such compasses. His steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year he was master of the Monroe. The faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved otherwise. Just two degrees off, and he rammed another boat in the fog. We have to orient our lives to God. As followers of Christ, we need to regularly recalibrate and reorient, reorient our hearts and our lives toward God. We can start to get off target with our relationship with Christ, just one or two small excuses to miss something or to not spend time in prayer or to skip the devotion, I'll make it up tomorrow. Just one or two excuses, and before long, we are in a collision course with a tragic outcome that affects everyone around us. And all of us have seen that, haven't we? Where someone was on fire for God, and then they started to get off course just a little bit. And before long, their family was in ruins. They lost their job. And generations since have suffered. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I know there's going to be movement on the platform. And in Children's Church, when it gets to a real important part and there's a little bit of movement, I'll say, everyone look this way. Everyone look this way. We all know how they all look and what they're going to do. But don't miss this ending part of what God has for us this morning. So how do we stop making excuses when it comes to getting into the presence of God more? How do we stop making excuses when God says, come, and we say, okay, uh, let me just do this first, and then I'll pray. Or God says, okay, this Tuesday night prayer meeting, come, and it's like, 
the Mets are playing that night. I have sacrificed the Mets. I've been here. So how do we stop making excuses when it comes to getting into the presence of God more? First, we have to ask him for the desire to know him more. God, give me a greater desire to want to be in your presence more, to want to draw closer to you when you say come. The word says that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's waiting. He hasn't moved. Lord, give me the greater desire to know you more. Secondly, take inventory. We have to take a hard, introspective look at what takes up our time, what, what, what roadblocks we have put up that keep us from God. Take an inventory. What's eating my time? Like we take inventory with our budget. What's eating our money? Take inventory. Thirdly, realign priorities. Recalibrate our priorities. When God shows us after we've taken inventory, it's not enough to just know what's eating up our time. We have to realign our priorities. Fourthly, practice coming to him more. Practice coming to him more. Get in a habit and a routine to do it. And lastly, resolve that your relationship with God is non-negotiable. Your relationship with God must be non-negotiable. When our boys were growing up, they had to take piano lessons. Did they want to take piano lessons, Ray Martin? No. Did they want to practice John Shrek? No. And we said, well, that's unfortunate. But as Shrek boys, it is non-negotiable. You are taking piano lessons from kindergarten through high school. It is non-negotiable. Our relationship with Christ has to be non-negotiable with our kids and with ourselves. No more excuses, brothers and sisters. We, the time is short. We need to press in with God like never before. This culture is dragging us the wrong direction. The government is fine, but it's not leading us to the throne of God. We need to say no more excuses. I'm going to press in with God. I'm going to seek him more. I'm going to say yes to the invitation Christ has given me to enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, and not just on Sunday mornings. Though they're great. Please don't stop coming Sunday mornings. But what are you doing Mondays at 7 a.m.? What am I doing Mondays at 7 a.m.? No more excuses. I'm going to invite you to stand today. So this, this morning, the invitation is made. The invitation to draw near to the master. What do you say to that invitation this morning? To draw near to the master. The invitation is made to be filled with the spirit this morning. What do we say to that invitation? 
the invitation is made to be used by him in ways we never expected. I am exhibit A for being used by God in ways I never expected. So what do we say to the invitation today? Do we say yes and then act on it? Or do we give another excuse? No more excuses, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing a chorus. Nothing compares. We sing it. Let's live it. Amen? Let's sing it. Nothing else compares. Come on, sing. You are the Lord. You are the Lord Almighty. I'll shine in all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Hallelujah. Oh, nothing else compares. Nothing else compares. No more excuses. You are the Lord Almighty. Outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else compares. Nothing else compares.
I'm going to encourage you to come. Maybe you'll get prayed for. Maybe you just come and kneel. There's pads here that you can come and kneel or stand and just say, God, I want you drawn near to you. I want to put my face towards you in a, a more direct way and not just looking to the left or to the right. But I want to hear the voice behind me saying, this is the way. It's a narrow way. Walk in it. And so I leave you with this scripture. And then the altars are open and you are free to go however you go. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, your pastors kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Your, your pastors pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people that have said yes to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. No more excuses. The altar is open. God bless you.